And so today and this week, we do celebrate all saints and all souls. And you may have noticed that to mark this day, we've moved backwards in this narrative of Matthew that we've been following for some time now. Last week, we were in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, and we have come back all the way to the 5th chapter, back to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, to the very first sermon that we have recorded in this gospel. This move makes sense, I think, for a couple of reasons. First, today is this day in which we celebrate all those saints and souls that have gone before us. Those that have guided the church to where it is today throughout centuries, teaching the next generation what it is to follow the way of Jesus. And these beatitudes that we read this morning remind us of what that Jesus way looks like. Second, this jump makes sense for us as a matter of story. Narratively, as we go through this gospel, it helps us to situate ourselves after the passages of last week, and it helps us as we go forward through the rest of our time in Matthew before Advent. So last week, we read two passages that seem a little bit jumbled together. It didn't seem like those two passages had much to do with each other. We talked first about how Jesus answered the question, what is the most important commandment? And we know the answer to that question. We say it every week in here. It's to love God, to love our neighbor, and to love ourself. And then the second passage that we read had Jesus returning a question to those Pharisees and asking them, what about the Messiah? Whose son is this Messiah? And Jesus takes their answer of David and offers them a riddle that makes a further claim that the Messiah is not just a son of David, but is David's Lord and master, that this Messiah is more than a king in the line of David. And this is why I think this return to the beginning of the story is helpful. We mentioned it briefly last week, but Matthew goes to great pains, great lengths to make it clear that Jesus is indeed a descendant of David. Matthew includes a genealogy that links Jesus to David. He tells a story of foreign dignitaries that come and pay tribute to this newborn king of the Jews. Several characters in this gospel name Jesus as the son of David, and David, or Jesus himself, announces the coming of a new kingdom. Matthew wants his readers frequently to be thinking about this Messiah figure in the line of David. He wants his readers to be thinking about this conquering king that they've hoped for, about this permanent throne of David that sits just below a permanent temple where the presence of God permanently rests. And the reason that Matthew wants his readers to have these thoughts in mind is because of where they sit. We talked about it a few weeks back, quite a while back, I think, actually, but you might remember that this gospel was written to a particular community in a particular place, and those people had certain expectations. In Jesus' time and place, the people of God were still trying to answer questions that they had had for centuries as they lived under the thumb of many, many different nations. The questions that they had were, how is everything going to be made right? When will we stop suffering? 
when will the king and the kingdom return? And there were many answers over the centuries to these questions. But by the time of Jesus, most of those answers revolved around two things. Things would be made right when two things happened. First, things would be made right when the people of Israel finally lived into the responsibility they have to keep the covenant that they had made with God. If they could keep all of the commandments, then God would save them. And then second, the way that God would save them is by sending this Messiah, sending a king in the line of David. And this Messiah would, of course, conquer these enemy forces and return the land to its people and usher in a new kingdom once again built around that palace and that temple in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. For Matthew's audience, though they had these expectations, those expectations never came to fruition. Despite all of the efforts of their leadership, political and religious, rather than being saved, the people were conquered yet again. And this time their nation was completely destroyed. Matthew wrote this gospel decades after Jesus' death. And this conquering king that the people had hoped for never returned. Instead, they had a failed violent uprising. The occupation became an annihilation and people suffered. And the permanence of the palace and the temple were torn down stone by stone. And the hope of salvation pretty much disappeared. Matthew's gospel is written to a people that survived a massacre. It's written to those that had fled their homes while another enemy yet again destroyed them. Matthew's gospel is still written to people that are asking when and how is this all going to be made right. Matthew's trying to answer this question. He's trying to give a response to the devastation in the world around him. And Matthew's answer is rather surprising. Matthew's answer is that despite the situation that his community is in, despite the loss and the suffering and all of the trauma, that there is somehow still hope, that there's still somehow hope and that that hope strangely rests in a poor itinerant rabbi that had lived and died and somehow lived again decades before the suffering of Matthew's community. And so this finally brings us to this Jesus and to this first sermon that Jesus gives in this gospel. And so Jesus goes up and sits down on a side of a mountain much different than the mountain in Jerusalem. This mountain doesn't have the weight of all those expectations and ambitions that the mountain in Jerusalem does. And when he sits down, he has the disciples surround him. And the crowds that are around them surround them. And we can imagine that decades later, when Matthew's gospel is first read to Matthew's community, that those that are around gather just as closely as those that did on that mountaintop. And Jesus offers each of them, those on the mountain and those in that community, a word that can change their world. And as Jesus likes to do, he begins with words that would probably have been familiar to his audience. Blessed is the one. These words 
are familiar to us, yes, from these list of Beatitudes, but they were familiar to the people that would have heard them because they are the words that begin the first psalm. The first psalm in the book of, uh, in the book of Psalms start with these words. And in this first psalm, there's a celebration of two different things, two themes that run throughout the scriptures. And the first is this. It's a celebration of the character of a God that would offer blessing. And the second thing is a celebration of the commandments of this God. Remember, again, in Jesus' time, it was thought by many that the first step to salvation was to keep all of those commandments right The psalm was often recited as a reminder of these people's responsibility to keep these commandments. Listen to the words of this psalm. This is the first psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruits in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This psalm begins with a beatitude and finishes with a parable. And Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount with a list of beatitudes just like the psalm. And you may know that he finishes this sermon just like the psalm with a parable. You could go look it up if you want to do a little homework. So Jesus models this sermon on this first psalm. He's asking his audience to listen for the same two themes that we hear in this first psalm, a celebration of the character of God and a celebration of the fulfillment of Torah. But Jesus' emphasis in this sermon is a little different than the psalm. In the psalm, the recipient of the blessing, the recipient of God's grace, receives the blessing because they do something, because they keep the commandments. But in Jesus' Beatitudes, blessing and grace aren't a result of doing or thinking the right thing. The blessing isn't a transaction. Jesus says in the sermon itself that his words and his understandings do not abolish the law. He's not advocating that the law is forgotten, that the commandments no longer be kept. But what he's doing is properly defining it and interpreting it. Jesus says that God's blessing isn't contingent on the receiver. This blessing isn't just given in return for something else. This God instead gives grace, gives blessing to all kinds of people that would rarely be classified as deserving. And once again, this claim would have been rather surprising to Jesus' audience and to Matthew's as well. It's even a little bit surprising for us In that world, that first century world, it was thought that those that were blessed were those that had been given wealth and power, prestige. It's the one that checks the right boxes and follows all the right rules. Far be it from this world today to call those people blessed, right? But Jesus says to his disciples and Matthew says to his audience that this world instead is upside down. 
God's blessing isn't just for the powerful. God's blessing is for those that no longer know where to go after so much chaos. God's blessing, according to Jesus, is for those that have been trampled down so far that they never had a dream that they could have a place to belong. It's for those that have lost land, those that have lost homes, those that have lost their loved ones, for those that are starving still for the world to be made right. This blessing is for those that can forgive even after that kind of traumatic event. It's for those that somehow still bear witness to life and love and truth and grace in a world of darkness. For those that do the work of shalom in places of chaos. It's for those that are denounced and those that are persecuted for merely speaking words of love. These are the blessed ones, says Jesus. These are the ones that will be comforted, who will be filled, who will be restored. These are the ones that will somehow see everything made right. We gather here today, this morning, because like Matthew and like Matthew's community and like so many people that have gone before us, we still believe that there is hope for this world and that somehow that hope is found in a poor itinerant rabbi that lived and died and lived again centuries before the suffering that we see in the world around us today. These words that Jesus speaks in this sermon is for the whole community of Christ. These words are for you, and they're for me, and for this church. But we do need to also remember that these words were first spoken to a community that looked far different than our own. If these words were written and read for the first time today in today's world, they would be read in communities that looked more like Matthew's. They'd be read at the San Pedro Migrant Resource Center. They'd be read in immigrant camps on our border. They'd be read in places that have been torn apart by violence. These words would have been read in Ukraine. These words would be read by those that suffer terrorist attacks in Israel and those that suffer immense violence in Gaza City. And so today, as we celebrate all saints and all souls, we do celebrate them all. And we know that God, in an everlasting act of love and grace, created and blessed us and still somehow blesses those around us that are suffering. We may not see a way out of it ourselves, but it is our hope in this rabbi that leads us to this. And so may we remember our blessing and may we respond to it. May we remember that this blessing calls us to bless all the tribes of the earth. And may we bless them with generosity and forgiveness and justice. And may we remember that hope lives on. Hope lives on for us. Hope lives on for all those around the world because of this itinerant rabbi 
because of this man that rose from a grave and invites us all to a table.